Welcome to the Texan Overtime Podcast. I'm Akshay Merchandani. I'm the managing editor at the Daily Texan, joined as always by Tyler Horka, the sports editor of the Texan. Ty, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing fantastic. So today is a special day in Texan Overtime's history. We have our first big guest in studio with us. It's former Texas head coach, now ESPN college football analyst, Mac Brown. Mac, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Glad to be here and excited about our podcast. Good to have you here. Thank you. I, 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 I'm wondering, where does this moment rank in your career? It's got to be past the title, right? I think it's probably mm-hmm. the best. Okay. It's the biggest moment in okay. my career. No, very honestly, when, uh, when I was coaching, I loved being around the students. And one of the things that Sally and I both have missed the most after getting out is not being around students on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And ESPN ABC has a lot of young people at work, but it's still different when you've got your whole life ahead of you. And, and the Daily Texan's been a very powerful piece of my life and the University of Texas for a long time. And first time I've been in the office and, and excited about our visit. Is it as nice or nicer than the office you had as a coach? It's probably very, very similar, but not near as nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Meaning there were walls and floors yes. and a ceiling. Yes. That, that's it. Uh, we have a lot to talk about in terms of football, in terms of your ESPN gig, but I kind of want to start with spring football a little bit and um, where we're going with things. Obviously, it's a pivotal offseason, new head coach and Tom Herman. So when you're coaching, when you were a coach around this time of year, what were you doing to get prepared for the fall? What's, what's on your agenda in spring practices? Well, off of the field, you're breaking down all of your opponents for next year. And people thought it was kind of foolish because after midseason, you've got five or six games on them anyway. But it's just something that you, you felt like you needed to do. Even with your rivals, what you would do is have, especially like when we were struggling with Oklahoma, you would have all of your coaches and staff – look at what they were doing in their area and compare it to what Oklahoma was doing. So our strength coach, would he would look at what he was doing compared to what the guys at Oklahoma were doing. The offensive receivers would say, what are we doing compared to the defensive backs as such? Because that's who we got to beat. Who are they? How good are they? And then you would go through every bit of that. On the field, you're trying to get the young ones better. You're trying to get the older ones better, but you don't want a guy like uh, a Ricky Williams who's been banged on for four years to, to be getting killed in spring practice with concussion protocol and just the number of hits that a guy can take. So what you would do with a Ricky Williams is probably scrimmage, but do it thud where you're not taking him to the ground. And then when you've got the younger backs, you throw them in there and tackle them because they, they haven't achieved his level of success and they need the work. So – I'd just like to know, and I think a lot of people here would like to know, with Tom Herman being new, it's his first year, I think he's garnered a lot of fan support, especially on campus. I think everyone's really excited about what he can do. I just want to know if you see any similarities in the way he's going about his first offseason as to opposed when you came here in 1997, I think it was. Yes, it, it was actually 98. I 98, think it was after okay. the 97 so season. Do you see any similarities between the way he's doing things and what you did when you came here? Uh, I do, and that would be natural because Tom worked for us for two years. Right. And he saw us on the early parts of, of coming into Texas. And, and what he's done so far is that uh, he's been very passionate about the place. He's very excited about being here. He's obviously welcomed the students into his program, even having an open practice for the students. I think it was on Roundup, so it was a tough, <laughs> tough <laughs> weekend. But uh, you got to know your competition, you know, as you're, right. as you're starting to look around. Right. Um, and he's gotten all of the ex-players back involved. Some of them didn't feel as comfortable before, and they're all back in the weight room. I, I saw Colt McCoy the other day, and he's so excited. And he came out to throw, I think, on, uh, on fan or student appreciation day. Um, and he's recruited this state for just, well, every year since he left us. And, and so his relationship with the high school coaches is really good, from Sam Houston to Texas State to uh, Rice to Iowa State to Ohio State. He's never, and then the University of Houston, he's never left the high school coaches here. And I think that's the biggest part probably of, of who he is and, and what he's doing. Plus, Tom's uh, passionate, he's smart, and uh, he's driven. 
I mean, he's a guy that's going to work really, really well. So my grade for him so far, because he's undefeated, and everybody likes the new coach when they're undefeated, and I told him that. I said, the best time in your life as a coach is between the time you're hired at that press conference and your first game. Then people start questioning. you got all the answers till then. Uh, but I think he's done everything right. And uh, I had lunch with him the other day, and he's excited to be here. He, he likes his players. Obviously, anytime there's a transition, there's going to be some that leave and some that don't like the new coach and some that like the old coach and some that don't like their philosophy and the, the changes. But it seems like so far that it's gone pretty well. I was going to ask, how often do you guys talk or since he's been hired or what's your relationship like with him? My relationship um, is very good with Tom because I've had that relationship for 15, 20 years. And he was uh, um, a bright, young graduate assistant for us on offense, and I followed his progress throughout the years. In fact, I've recommended him um, for just about every job he's ever taken. People would call me, and I'd say, yes, I'd hire him. In fact, when Greg Davis left here in 2010, after the 2010 season, I would have hired Tom, but people were so down on Greg, and Greg was Tom's mentor. And I thought if Tom came in, they're going to think it's Greg, and it wouldn't be fair to Tom. So I didn't hire him at that time. Uh, but he's um, he, he's a guy now that, like Charlie Strong, I told Charlie I just left. The players on the team still know me. I shouldn't be around. I need to get out of town. I need to let you take over and be the coach. And I didn't need to talk to in-state media uh, with Tom, I'm going to be very, very similar. I'll be around more because there's one um, year separated and three of our classes are gone. So uh, I won't know as many players on the team uh, so I can go out some and help. But my relationship with Charlie was anytime you need anything, you text me and I'll do it. And I'll give you advice. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. And, and basically with Tom, it's been the same. Uh, I was at lunch with him the other day. Uh, I was at a function with him for the Dell match play when they were picking the uh, – it wasn't very hard to pick the teams <laughs> when they got a bu bubble right. bottle that pops up and you, you get the little ball and you, you pull it out and pitch it to them. But uh, I got to spend about an hour with him then, so um, uh, it's fun. You, you mentioned Charlie. I'm wondering from your vantage point, you know, three straight losing seasons, but he recruited well. It looked like he was doing the right things. There's a core in place here. From an on-the-field perspective, why didn't it work in three years? You know, it's a good question, and I don't know. And I don't think Charlie knows. I've talked to him some, and, and, and obviously he was disappointed because he thought he was making progress. Uh, but you, you, just, you can't lose to Kansas on the road. You, you, there were too many bad losses. And, and in talking to him, I felt like he felt like what he, he couldn't get his thumb on was the inconsistency. Why could they beat Oklahoma and lose to uh, Iowa State and not get past the 50? I mean, it, it just it made no sense that they didn't play consistently well. And I think that was the f most frustrating thing for him. And I do feel like for Charlie now, so many of his roots were in Florida. He was a great defensive coordinator at the University of Florida. His recruiting base, even at Louisville, was Miami, and that's tougher for Texas. So I think he's in a perfect spot for him right now to move forward and get this one behind him, and, and um, I, I do think there's good players in place, but everybody that says it's fixed, there's three straight losing seasons. So if the players are great, why didn't they win more games? And I, I think that's the question that, that Tom's got to ask. Then we've got to have these players buy into us. We've got to get them to get more confidence because it does hurt recruiting when you lose three straight years, and all of the young guys that are out there that are looking for the cool place to go. It's not Texas when you're not winning, and, and the stands are about three-fourths full. So obviously lots of people still hold you in high regard. When Tom's getting hired at these places, they're coming to you to ask if he's the right guy. And then you see Charlie come here and not have a lot of success at a place that you kind of flourished at. So with all that being said, are you still in the market for a head coaching job, or have you completely weighed that out now? Uh, Tyler, it's a, it's a good question. First, let me say that uh, I like Charlie, and he worked really hard here, and I'm, I'm sorry for him and sorry for Texas that it didn't work. I mean, and, and it didn't work. Some people have said, uh, what happens if Tom has three losing seasons? He'll be fired, too. I mean, you can't have three losing seasons at Texas, and that's just fact. We've 
I'll see that, and it's it's just the way it is. It's not mm-hmm. going to change. From my standpoint, I'm really happy with with my transition from coaching to ESPN and ABC. I love. I'm, I'm watching 24 games every Saturday and commenting on them. I'm uh, I get to fly out Wednesday and go see coaches and and young players, and I see them practice and I hear the game plans, and so I'm I'm really loving what I'm doing. You go back and Bob Davey, who got fired at Notre Dame, spent 10 years in, in TV and then becomes the head coach at New Mexico. I did their bowl game. He loves it. He said he's never been happier because he'd just coach and have fun. And and then you see Dick Vermeil was out 17 years, and he came back. So a coach is a coach. I did it for 42 years. I would never say that I'm not going to coach again. I don't know. I'm not looking for it. I'm not calling. I'm not begging. Um, I don't have an agent out trying to shop me every time a, a job comes open. Uh, and I don't see it happening. But if the right thing popped up in the right part of the country, I might go try it again. So as far as ESPN goes, you're very happy where you're at. But what's next there? Do you want to stay um, kind of as the halftime guy, or are you looking to call more games? Do you know, I, I um, that's an interesting question, Tyler, because they're asking me what do you want to do. Right. And I like calling games. I like watching all the games on Saturday. Uh, I, um, Friday night's a little tougher because of high school football. That's something I've always fought. And at Texas, we wouldn't have played at home on a Friday night. We did play Iowa State one, one year up there on a Friday night the week before we played Oklahoma. Um, it's the only time we ever played, I think, on Friday night other than uh, possibly the years before we started playing A&M on Thanksgiving, we probably played Friday morning, yeah. I think, like at Friday 10 or 11 maybe. Yeah, or something. It, mm-hmm. we, we changed it up some there. But when we went to Thanksgiving, that was much better. Um, so what I've told ESPN, because they're going through a lot of changes, I've told them, and you, you tell me what you want and I'll do it. I'm a team guy. I'm a rookie. I'm, still, I'm, I'm in for three years. I have signed up for them for two more years, uh, and they've been so gracious to let me get out if there's something else I want to do in coaching, I can I can get out and do that uh, without contract issues. Um, but I really don't care. I'm having fun, and I love doing the games because it puts me back on the sideline and makes my mind work for the 30 years I was a head coach, and I have to think what he's thinking. And I do think that one of the things I can give people is what the coach is thinking, what's happening behind the scenes, and most of the guys that haven't coached can't do that. I've got a couple of things I want to talk about, about the roster and about mo- and about quarterbacks. And obviously Texas has two young quarterbacks right now, and Shane Bouchelle and uh, Sam Ellinger. Shane, showed, Shane showed, showed promise last year. There were lots of Colt McCoy comparisons after that Notre Dame game, which I'm sure you heard. What – in those two guys, Sam obviously hasn't played a game yet, but in those two guys, from what you've seen, heard, what do you like about them? Is one one have an edge over the other? What do you like about these two? Well, first let me say two's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's really dangerous. I mean, you get a sprained ankle, and you've got Gerard Hurd, who could be the third, obviously, but a third still doesn't get the work that 50% of the work's going to go to one and two. So... Um, I'm sure Tom's concerned that he's got uh, a guy who's never played in a college football game and a guy who just got through with his freshman year. That's it, with a new offense. And Tom likes to run the quarterback like they did with Cordell Jones and JT Barrett at Ohio State and uh, at Houston. So can you run your quarterback and run your offense when you've got two that are not as strong as a junior or a senior because they're just developing? Uh, so that's a concern, and it's a huge concern for him, and one that he's got to try to fix. I mean, what, how do you get somebody in here fast? And and I, I know he's been looking at some graduate transfers, mm-hmm. and that's the reason. You you need three. It's it's hard to play without three, and if if you are, you better be lucky. Uh, secondly, I was really impressed with Shane last year. I'm I'm gone. I saw him play Notre Dame because that was on a Sunday, and I was in here for that game, and we did pregame. Um, and he, he does have some cult comparisons. He's, he's um, obviously a coach's kid. Um, he's very accurate. He seems tough to me. He's got a, a beautiful touch 
especially on the deep ball. He dropped some of those dimes over the outside shoulder against Notre Dame and I thought was the difference in the ball game. Uh, and seems confident because you never know if a freshman's going to be able to start. You never know if he'll be able to make it throughout the year. And he took some hits, and and, and so I was very impressed with him. And I think the upside's really high. Uh, I'm not sure he runs as well as Colt because Colt was so much faster than people thought he was. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being shoot, Colt was 220 and 62 or something. So he's a big guy. Yeah, he bulked up. He he bulked up, <laughs> uh, and he's still that way. Uh, Sam used to come to our camp. Sam wanted to come to uh, uh, Texas when he was two, I think. And you, you look at those pictures, and, and he was hanging out at the camp all the time. And um, Sam lost his dad a few years ago in a horrific situation uh, where his dad had a heart attack, and he was a triathlon athlete and a wonderful man that loved Texas. He's got a wonderful mom. Uh, but I haven't seen him play because I've seen video, and it looks good. And he's had some injury issues, so he's got to, to – uh, try to be smarter, and uh, we used to try to get Colt to slide. Don't be stupid. David Ash wanted to run over him, and I said, no, that, that's really smart. They're bigger than you are, and they're stronger than you are. You wouldn't be the quarterback. So, uh, But I, I, I do feel like that it'll be great competition with both. And uh, this this place is crazy with quarterbacks, obviously, and everybody wants to overanalyze every one of them and fire this one and get that one. No, we want that one back. And everybody forgot they wanted to move Vince Young to wide receiver or, or to uh, safety after midway through his second year, and he ended up pretty good. So Not bad. Uh, not bad. Uh, so I, I really feel like Tom was smart in this crazy environment for saying, we're not even going to name a guy this spring. We'll wait and do that in the fall, and we'll let these guys compete. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned, uh, before we get back to that, you mentioned uh, David Ash, who was obviously at Texas Pro Day. Did he talk to you before he he made that decision? What do you think? Is Is there a chance? He might end up on an NFL roster. You know that uh, he did not talk to me. We, um, when I quit coaching, I tried not to talk to the guys mm-hmm. that were on Charlie's team because I didn't want it to be a mixed message, and I thought that was very important. John Makovic, when I came in, stayed totally away. He went to ESPN. He stayed out of any conversation about Texas football. Obviously, with my job with ESPN, I had to have some conversation. But my conversations were only with Coach Strong. They weren't with players, and I changed my number. <laughs> I, I did everything to make sure that they didn't call because anytime there's transition, they're going to call and say, Coach, I don't like this, or I like this better with you. And that's just natural. That, that's who they are. Um, so I haven't talked to David in a couple of years. The most important thing, I'm, I'm glad that he, he got released uh, because he had some um, serious issues obviously with the concussions that kept him from playing for a long time. And every time we'd have one, the doctors would think everything's okay. And then the next year with Charlie, the same thing happened. I think Charlie has a great first year because there were some really good players that year. If David stays healthy and, and he can play and he gets hurt first game or second game. And I guess his first game, I guess he got hurt with North Texas. North Texas. Texas. Yeah. Yep. And it was even hard to tell because I looked at the play and it was hard what to happened, tell yeah. that it was a, a big hit. Um, so, uh, that's obviously a concern for the NFL, but um, he's he's very talented. He can he can throw it as well as anybody. He can also punt. So I'm hoping that he he gets a chance to make a roster so he can have another shot. Yeah, the what if David Ash had stayed healthy is one of my favorite Texas football hypotheticals. That along with if Colt stayed in the 2009 national t- championship game. I don't want to get into that right now, but. Well, it's... I, I'm like you. I, if Colt had stayed in, I think we win because we started right. And Alabama's big game was Florida in the SEC championship. We didn't play well offensively against Nebraska. We were all over it that night, and things were starting really well. Still nearly won with a freshman quarterback that right. turned it over four times. Four interceptions. So that one killed us. And you go back to Colt's freshman year. We won the conference championship that year if he doesn't get hurt at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. where we lose two games, and we just had to win one of the two to play for the conference championship. Right. Um, and even if um, the the year that um, we lose to Tech by three seconds, uh, if we win that game, we're number one in the country. We play Missouri, who we'd beaten 56-35 to 35 for the conference championship. And then I think Colt wins the Heisman Trophy, and we play Florida for another national championship. So mm. there's things you go back and look at, and it's part of the game. It's what happens. So you can't, you can't, you can wish it different. You can't change it. 
the fans definitely go back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Uh, so kind of going back to the quarterback situation. So when you're recruiting and, and you're in a room with a guy, a four- or five-star quarterback, what are you looking for in that guy? In a young quarterback, what do you want? Well, Coach Royal said you need a guy that has it. And I think that's so true. And it means that he's going to lead everybody. It doesn't mean his, his arm has to be that strong. He better have good feet. He better have a good head. And he better have um, a confidence about him, a swagger about him that all the other guys follow him. Because you're going to be behind. You're going to be in trouble. And that guy's got to pick everybody up. And the coaches aren't out on the field. So it's about him. And one of the very difficult things is to see in high school who can do that in college. It's a hard thing. And now you're having to offer that guy as a freshman or a sophomore, so you don't even know how many games he's going to win as a junior or senior. When yeah. we offered Tyrone Swoops, he was going into a senior year, one of the most highly recruited, recruited quarterbacks in the country. He gets hurt his senior year, doesn't get to play very much. Well, he's, a, he's ours. Doesn't matter. And then you just got to hope he's well. Colt was a young guy that wasn't as highly recruited. We'd also committed a guy named Ryan Perlou, who was the number one player in the country and Ryan ends up not turning out at LSU and at Jacksonville State and Colt ends up winning more games than anybody in the history of college football for a quarterback at that time so quarterback is one of those that's really hard to judge who's going to make it and who's not going to make it most people wanted Vince to be a wide receiver or a safety in high school they didn't think he'd be a college quarterback because they didn't like his throwing motion and here he's 30-2 and two as a, a career quarterback in college. Um, and, and the other thing that's very difficult, people said, uh, oh, we should have recruited this guy, and we should have recruited that guy. You know, there are different reasons that you recruit everybody, and you're not going to say publicly why you don't. Right. And then, but, but one, like Robert Griffin, he wasn't coming here. He wanted to start. Colt was here. He said, if I can start, I'll come. He's not going to start. Colt's a sophomore, and he's doing great. Um, so there, there were a lot of things like that. Garrett Gilbert, when you get a five-star quarterback that's the number one player in the country, nobody else wants to come because they know you've got to get him, and then he doesn't want anybody else to come. So it's his deal. And at a place like Texas, and it was obvious for Charlie and, and Tom's fighting it right now, it is hard to have two or three great quarterbacks on your roster because they don't want to sit. They want to play. And they all feel like they're NFL guys. And, and the graduate transfer rule and just the transfer rule makes it where people are just transferring at that position all the time. And, and I said, if I go back and coach and I'm going to sign five of them, sounds good. You can't. Five of them won't come. Now, maybe you sign three that you think are good and two great ones, and then the good ones probably end up better than the great ones. You mentioned Garrett Gilbert. He is probably one of the most fascinating players, and at least that that you had in the latter part of your career, of your career. He obviously gets thrust into an almost impossible situation in the 2009 national championship game. It didn't work out the way you wanted it to, and he came in as a five-star, best quarterback in the state type deal. You know, my th my theory on Garrett Gilbert. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong, whatever. Uh, was Getting thrust into that national championship game, almost just an awful thing to have happen to him just because of the psychological impact of that. And, you know, I don't want to relate that to his struggles in the years following, but is there a connection there? I, I don't know. You know, it, it is complicated. I love Garrett. Mm -hmm. He's a four-point student. He's Mr. Perfect. He worked hard every day, did everything right. Um, and somewhere... And it, it might have had to do with that national championship game um, following Vince and Colt, who were two of the best quarterbacks in college football history. Somewhere in there, he would do great in practice, and there was he tried so hard, and there was so much pressure by the time he got to the stadium that it was more difficult for him. And I do – I wish he'd stayed. I mean, when he wanted to leave, we said, fine. I mean, it's what, who we are and what we did. Uh, but if he'd stayed, I still think he would have been – a a great quarterback at Texas, and it would have worked. He did some good things at SMU mm -hmm. when he got away from all this. Um, but people were booing him. Uh, media was really hard on him. Uh, and here's a, a guy who – It's tough for a 19-year-old kid. It's tough, and, and he's a, 
uh, superstar at Lake Travis. So um, uh, when we were in the Brigham Young game and he threw an interception, they, I mean, 101,000 booed. It's hard to keep him out there and, and not pull him out and let him take a break and, and get away from this stuff. Uh, so I think that uh, probably who he followed probably is part of that game because everybody says it's just going to be Colt and Vince more and more and more. Uh, I just thought there was there was more pressure on um, on him than there should have been. I think there's tons of pressure on him because even with the four interceptions, all the buzz around here was that this guy's going to be great. I mean, look what he did. He almost beat Alabama in the national title, you know, playing in his basically his first full game almost. Yeah, and he was great. And and why did Colts work out and Vince's work out, who weren't as successful in high school as Garrett? And why did Garrett's not work out? And and as a coaching staff, you always go back and blame yourself because you think there's something that we should have seen, there's something that we should have done to get a great player to the place he needed to be. And um, and that didn't happen for us. So I think um, you've mentioned kind of the smallest things can alter not only a season but even a player's career maybe. And the smallest things can also alter – just games themselves, and you talked about the 2010 national championship game against Alabama, 2008 in Lubbock against Texas Tech. Maybe those are a couple of the the tougher memories that you've had at Texas. But aside from the the triumph over USC in the national title game, what would you say are your top three coaching moments here at Texas? Oh boy, I, th- I think the the top three would have to be national championship, Michigan Rose Bowl, and Ohio State Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, just off the top of my head without thinking about it. Because uh, when I was hired, uh, Tom Hicks and DeLoss Dodd said, we want you to win a national championship. And, and they hadn't done it in 35 years or something at, at, mm-hmm. but when we did it. So um, I said, well, you're going to have to help. Obviously, there's something wrong because you guys haven't been consistently good. And Texas really hadn't been consistently good forever. When you go back and look at us, it's been up and down, and mm-hmm. it has not been um, the the dominant place that it looks like we should be every day. Everybody says it's the best job in the country. Everybody says all these players around. Got great facilities, got great money, got a great school, got a great place. Why don't you win every game forever? Well, we haven't. So obviously there's – it's hard. It's a lot harder, I think, than people think it is. But when you go back, and, and I thought my job was we needed to be in the Rose Bowl. They'd never been. It was so much fun for Texas to play Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Coach Schimblecker and Coach Royal were there in pregame, and you can tell that uh, marketing is different now because Mickey Mouse did the pregame toss instead of Coach Royal and, <laughs> and uh, Coach Schimblecker. They were out there. Uh, and I thought, well, the world has changed. <laughs> Disney, Disney is flipping the coin, not, not the two Hall of Fame coaches. Um, but but I thought that a Texas to beat Ohio State in Columbus was huge. Even more so after the national championship year for us to beat them in the Fiesta Bowl when they were really, really good was huge too. So I think those three games, there were a couple Oklahoma games that were great. They were number one, we were five. I think when we beat them, the game in Columbus, Ohio, was one of the best ever because they just don't lose up there. Excuse me, they sure don't lose at night up there. And for the 25-22, right in the end, it was just a, a, a special game. Um, but but I would think those were probably the ones that, that jump out without putting any thought into it at all. I'll have to inject some of my own opinion here. You mentioned the uh, when Texas was and number five. And I'll probably five, agree with you. But and Oklahoma was number one. The 45-35 game is what that was everyone knows game. it as. I was there, and that's probably one of my favorite memories for sure. Well, and Ricky's um, – Run over yep. um, A&M in our first year was a that was a great game and one that clinched the Heisman. Beating Nebraska at Lincoln when they had 47 straight home wins and Ricky got uh, 150 yards rushing against mm-hmm. the Black Shirts yeah. um, that at that time were great and not giving up any yards. Uh, there's so many of those that that come to mind. There were some great games with A&M. Um, but but I do think the the Nebraska championship game was 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 special, uh, beating Colorado seventy to three. Uh, we were so good mm-hmm. at that time, and we were so much better than they were. 
Uh, I even hated that for them because that was such a great win. Um, the comeback at Kansas, which was crazy, mm-hmm. with Vince overcoming a fourth and, and 18. Fourth and a mile. Fourth and a mile, <laughs> and he ran for it, which I'm screaming, don't! <laughs> Be an idiot! Good job, Vince. That's great. But, uh, um, and then the um, – uh, gosh, there was another one I was thinking about. The, oh, Oklahoma State comeback mm-hmm. here that we were down 35-7 to in the first half. And the one up there, we're down 35-14 to in Stillwater yep. going into the fourth quarter and win 38-35. So uh, there's so many like that. The last second field goal games were fun. You know, I, d- I think we only lost one of those, and that was West Virginia here when uh, Anthony Farrell was hurt. Mm-hmm. And and shoved a field goal right that that we lost right in the end, but I think we won all the other last second field goal games, which was fun too. Yeah. Texas and Texas A&M ever going to play again, Mac? I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm not in that conversation. I do know that uh, at a very high level, uh, a lot of feelings were hurt, mm-hmm. and uh, now that there's two leagues, um, it also would have to be determined. With the schedules like they are, um, you couldn't play it at the first. It wouldn't be the same. Do you move it back to Thanksgiving? And if you do, it's a very difficult game late in the year around conference championship time because it sounds like the Big 12 is going to have a conference championship game now. So would you play that emotional Florida-Florida State-Georgia-Georgia Tech game right before your championship game? Because a lot of the coaches that are doing that don't like it because do you spend your emotion – for the championship game or for the um, rival game, and that's a that's a difficult one for a lot of people. So I don't see it anytime soon unless it pops up in a bowl game, and usually administrators can control what happens in the bowl games enough. I don't see that just popping up. Right. And so the Big 12 has obviously changed a lot in the past however many years. So I have a college football quality question that I want to ask you. Okay. This is something I noticed a lot this year is that these games can get real long with how many yards are being put up, how many points are being scored. I mean, there are times where it's a four-hour game, and it's like, you know, we talk about pace of play in baseball all the time, but it's almost like we're having that same conversation in college football. The NFL is a little different because of the rules, and it's not as uh, explosive and, and high scoring. But, you know, do you think it's a problem that these games are starting to take four hours, four and a half hours, and how do you fix that? Where, where's the game going? I don't think it's a real problem because everybody's still watching. Mm-hmm. If there's an issue, you're concerned some for the health of the players because then you can have a, a three-overtime game, and I don't like our overtime the way it's set up because I think it's it's too easy to score and the defense gets tired and, and then you just keep going. Uh, but I, they tried to change it when um, it was 06 when the rules committee said we're going to let the clock run, um, I think up until two minutes left in the half and two minutes left in the other game or something like that. And we're playing Ohio State out here, and Jim Trestle gets the ball and runs it, and he's huddling up and coming out and snapping the ball with three seconds. They run off nine minutes at the end of the game because that clock's running, and it's just not the same. It went too fast. And you it, it took away comebacks. It, it took away that last second uh, thrill win that the, uh, the 35-14 game. We couldn't have done that with the clock change. Um, they've talked about cutting down the halftime like the NFL's is 12. Um, then you're affecting your bands, and, and the bands work really hard, and they, they're a vital part of college football, so you can't take that part away. Uh, so I'm not really sure what you do. I think that's the thing. I think there will be a time where we will see – um, no kickoffs. I think there are time we may see no punts. They may move the ball 35 yards down the field and uh, because of concussions and issues. And that would speed up the game some. And I think it will be like, uh, like basketball. Instead of tossing it once at the first of the game, they'll go put it on the 20 and say, let's go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, but, but those are things that I know people are talking about out there and, and they're considering to try to speed things up. And the Big 12, um, sort of looking back on it, when you're playing Oklahoma when they have Sam Bradford, um, Nebraska when they're at the, the peak of their powers, uh, Baylor obviously wasn't 
what they were in the past couple years, uh, and TCU wasn't around yet. But who would you say, and obviously A&M, who would you say was your toughest, you know, each year you're like, we have this person's on our schedule, we got to get ready for this. Oklahoma's obviously up there, but but who else? The, the, the thing about Texas is we played a national game. Mm-hmm. And then we had Oklahoma and we had A&M. So those were the three games that people thought you had to beat if you were going to stay around because they had to go to work with all their buddies on Monday morning. At that time, TCU wasn't in the league. Tech was really tough in Lubbock. We beat them 13 out of 16 times, but we lost three times in Lubbock and all right in the last. So obviously playing them at home was a lot different than playing them in Austin. They never beat us in Austin. Uh, and most of the schools in the Big 12 were that way. We had trouble with Kansas State for whatever reason. Uh, and I think part of it was that our guys didn't have the respect they should have for some of the teams from the Big 8 because they didn't grow up. The fan base didn't grow up with Kansas and, and with Iowa State and with some, Missouri and some of those schools. So they'd get our fan base would get more excited about playing Rice maybe than Iowa State. And that was hard for our players to understand because they just didn't – that wasn't who they were. Uh, but there's no question that when you've got um, an in-state rivalry like A&M, that was huge. And it was Thanksgiving, and everybody got together, and that became their Thanksgiving. And I think even the bonfire issue where we lost those 12 students at A&M, which was just a tragedy, uh, probably pulled that rivalry a little bit closer together and made those games even more important. And and then the Oklahoma one is is more of a – it's the, the border state border rivalry where they don't like each other very much, so everybody's mad, and it's a fight. It's not a, you know, they're hugging family members at A&M. They're throwing stuff across yeah. the aisles at, at uh, the Texas-Oklahoma game. But uh, I think those are the, the obvious two. And then if you stuck an Ohio State in there or a USC, somebody, our fan base, expected us to win as well. Toughest quarterback you ever faced? Because you faced some good ones. Yeah, we really did. That's a... Oh, gosh, let's see. There was – I'm trying to go back yeah, to my – Yeah, give me, there was, give me there some obviously, names. There was obviously Lineart. There was RG3, um, Bradford. Uh, Tyler, you got any? Bradford's There's on my mind, Eric honestly. Crouch. Mm-hmm. Crouch, yeah. I just, I just remember RG3 in his Heisman year. Yeah. Graham Harrell and was really good, too. Graham Harrell was very good. In fact, there's a list out at Tech. They were all throwing. Right. Kingsbury beat us the first year. <laughs> I laugh at Cliff now uh, on that throwback to Wes Welker across mm-hmm. the field that uh, <laughs> went right in the end. I would think the, the one that – probably was the hardest for us to deal with was Leonard because I think he hit 16 out of 17 in the second half. Yeah. And we had six guys that played a long time in the NFL in that secondary. That was a great secondary. It was a great <laughs> secondary. So he was he had a very talented cast. He had he was a Heisman Trophy winner and Reggie Bush. But that team offensively was probably the best team I'd ever seen. The Bradford team with the number one in the country, the 45-35 game, those guys were really good too because they were going at a fast pace mm-hmm. before fast pace was in. Um, but but that night with Leonard and those guys, I mean, what a game. And and when you can hand it to Lindell White or Reggie Bush or throw it to Jared or, or a group of eight others or a tight end that was number one draft so choice, silly. It, it was silly. It was a silly night. Um, I kind of want to get into the ESPN gig that you have right now. Uh, you're about to enter year four for you at ESPN. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of, was there a, when, when you originally got there, year one, was there a bit of a deer in the headlights look for you? Absolutely. I, number one, I'd, I'd coached for 42 years, and then the, the day that you walk away or the night you walk away from the bowl game, you get up the next morning and you clear your schedule for the 8,000 things you had that spring that you'd already committed to do that you, the head coach was going to do. So that was Coach Strong's now. Say, here, Charlie, you got you got this, this calendar. I got another one. Uh, but you absolutely get up the next morning and say for the first time, and I'm 65 now, 62 years, I've got nothing to do. I mean, not today. I mean the rest of my life. Right. I got nothing to do. So I was really lucky. John Skipper called immediately with ESPN and said, we'd like to hire you. And it it wasn't a tough negotiation. He said, "Uh, so take six months off. You all go have fun, and and we'll call you this summer, and we'll give you a prominent position. And and I said, great, thanks. So I get off the phone. Sally says, who's that? 
John Skipper, what do you want? I said, he just hired us. I said, oh, good. What What are you going to make? I said, I didn't ask him. <laughs> she said, how long are you going to be there? What's your contract? And I said, sweetie, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask. I don't know. <laughs> well, what's he going to do? I said, they said they'd call in June. She said, you didn't ask anything? I said, no. Let's go have a good spring, and, and we'll we'll get back to this in June. They called in June. We went up there and met them. They put me on uh, countdown to kick off with ABC with John Saunders, who I loved, and we lost last year. Just a awful tragedy for for obviously friends yeah. and his family, but sports. Absolutely. God, he was Saturday. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he's like Chris Berman. He's the guy that we turned on to mm-hmm. hear what the scores were, and and he just he was such a professional. He was such a good man, but he he could sit there and not even watch games, and he just he'd get through and he'd rip off scores i said how do you do that and and he's just his mind was was so good but walking in there that first day i had no clue and they kind of throw you out in the the lake and say swim um and obviously longhorn network had helped some uh-huh. because i'd done that for three years but still the i didn't know i didn't get to watch countdown to kick off on saturdays <laughs> i was busy so it was all new and danny canal was my other partner and he and he and john really helped me through it and but I do feel much more comfortable in the third year than the first year. And I guess it's not a compliment that people come up and say, you've gotten so much better. I think that means I must have been really bad <laughs> when I started. So obviously it's a big change of pace going from coaching to being an analyst. But I'm sure it's still a lot of work. Um, what do you miss about coaching, I guess? And um, what is your schedule like now? Is it a lot more freed up from when you were here? Those are great questions. Uh, the thing you miss about coaching is you miss your team, you you miss your staff, you miss your day-to-day routine, you miss being the boss, you miss having something to do every minute of every day, and we were scheduled out for a year. I mean, so it was, it was really different. Um, you miss the games, I miss those fights, I miss the comebacks, I miss the game plans, I miss uh, – those are things you can't get uh, outside of coaching. I mean, you just – it, it's it. I'm, I miss the recruiting. I'd love to sit down with guys and families that really didn't know what was going on, try to explain to them about the recruiting process and getting them to come to our wonderful place here and then putting it all together. You take this one, where's he fit? Well, let's get him over here and trying to figure out what position they played the best. I, I miss all that. That's just stuff that, that um, um, you, you can't have uh, outside. I don't miss players getting in trouble. And you're getting called at three in the morning. You got to change a guy's life because he messed up or made a poor decision, or did he? Was the officer wrong or the accusations wrong? Or um, I'm I'm not a police officer, so those are difficult for coaches. Um, I don't miss kids getting hurt. That was always we had so many hurt the last two years. David Ash won that that really hurt us, but you hate to see them get hurt. It, mm-hmm. it just it's uh, and. That's one you can't control. We go to West Virginia. We use uh, we lose Jonathan mm-hmm. Gray and and Chris Whaley, in an overtime win that was a great win, and we lose two of our captains and best players, uh, which really hurt us at the end of that year. So that part I don't miss. I have gained a lot more respect for media than I had, and I, I Thank had you. I, I know, <laughs> but but I had respect anyway. I wasn't a bad media guy, but I understand now that. People in the media have to come up with something unique, something different to get people to read or, or listen. I mean, it's – and they're not sitting there just trying to kill the coach or trying to dig. They're trying to get something unique, and now I'm doing that. I'm I'm trying to go behind the scenes. And, and um, one of the more difficult things I've learned now in my three years with media is um, some people feel like it's more important to be first than right. And that's hurt your business, some our business, since I'm, I'm media now. But it <laughs> it's uh, it is more difficult for you who are trying to do it right when somebody just takes it and throws it out there, and if they hit it, they're a hero, and if they don't, it goes away. Mm-hmm. But it makes it puts more pressure on young people in this business, I think. And I'm around a bunch of them now. Um, um, but but I, I've really enjoyed the TV, and I don't think there are many transitions for coaches that are easy. Uh, it's kind of like a pro player. When you're through, you're through, and there's not anything else like it. This is as close to being like it for me as we can get, um, except you don't have a win and a loss. I sleep better every <laughs> Saturday night. 
Uh, even if we won, I stayed awake all night watching the video. And the, the second part of it is my schedule is probably not much different in preparation because I've got 24 games to prepare for in the, uh, on Saturday and then two teams to prepare for every Friday night. Mm-hmm. And I've only got Monday and Tuesday really to do that because uh, I leave on Wednesday and I come back on Sunday. So I work really hard in the fall through the national championship game, and then I come back and, and work for Texas in the spring. Uh, but it, it's not as intense, um, and I try to do things like this. We taught the class as a guest lecturer. I, I try to help Tom and the Letterman. I tried to help Coach Strong and uh, with people, alums and such, and, and Greg Finbus and, and Mike Perrin. So I work for both of those guys and just do basically whatever they want me to do. Sally and I are going to a fundraiser for UT Elementary tomorrow night. So uh, we're really busy, mm-hmm. and that's good because I couldn't just sit around and do nothing. Uh, but it, it's still not the same as when you, you have a spring where you have Saturday off. I never had a Saturday off. I never had a Sunday off. I'm, I just never thought about it. And it was funny. As a coach, I never went to the grocery store. I didn't go to a movie unless it was with a team and I'm worried about who's awake and who's acting up and who's um, – so those are things that when you get out, you Sally will say, well, you stop by the grocery store, and I'm saying, okay, where is it? Uh <laughs> Where, so you never you never once went into an HEB when nah, you were head coach. Nah. Wow, never had time. I just you go to the office early morning, you work all day. Sally did all that. I didn't even think about it. You usually didn't eat at home. You're having to eat in your office. Um, so you just I just didn't do it. Wow, the life of a coach at the University of Texas. <laughs> it's just know, it's it is busy. it is just different. <laughs> and then too- they said after a, excuse me, but after a loss, you come in before the sun comes up and you go home way after dark. So somebody will see you too. So that. You don't get out much. Let's do a couple quick hits, and then we'll wrap it up. I think I already know the answer to this, but who, who are you picking in the NCAA national title game? North Carolina. I figured. I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I, I won't get the name right. Number five for Gonzaga, that guard, is really good. Yeah, they have a lot of guards who can really shoot. They do. And then the the two big guys, mm-hmm. the big um, – um, Karnowski. Yeah, and the other yeah. – the freshman. Right. He's – 610 or something and he looked great last night so i'm a huge basketball fan um and i watch every game i watch every snap I, the mississippi state's upset of uconn women mm-hmm. i didn't see and i wish i could have because i didn't think that was possible and about the time that you think something can't happen in sports is when it jumps up and just right, grabs you that's why we all watch <clears throat> but uh i just think north carolina's got too many shooters they're, they're too athletic and and i think that the with their running I, th- I think they end up beating Gonzaga. So is this the former North Carolina yes. coach speaking, Absolutely. or is this the analyst, Mac Brown, speaking? Uh, th- this is – I can't separate with, with that. I've, I've separated – they asked me not to be the ex-Texas football coach at ESPN. They asked me not to be the ex-North Carolina football coach at ESPN, and I actually called the North Carolina NC State game this year, and some of the NC State fans still don't like me, and that's been <laughs> 20 years, but – um, but I've been able to separate that pretty good. And I told Coach Strong and I told uh, Greg Fimbus and Mike Perrin that, you know, I work for them in the fall. So when they ask me a direct question, I'm going to have to give them a direct answer. Um, and, and Greg and Mike and Charlie were great with, with the way I handled that. Uh, but this one, I, I think I would pick North Carolina anyway. Gonzaga's never been to a Final Four, a, a championship game. This is new for them. There's pressure on them. North Carolina losing on the last second shot to Villanova last year. They've they've had the revenge. They're out um, for some redemption. They are, and they they've got the the edge. And usually, whoever can create the most edge in this game wins. And also, can't help but notice you're wearing a UT Golf Club shirt. And I'm a big golf guy, so I want to get your Masters prediction since we are officially in Masters Week now, who you got at Augusta? Well, that's totally unfair because I helped recruit Jordan Spieth, and yeah. I love Phil Mickelson. He and I are great friends. So mm-hmm. I would pick those two even if I thought they didn't have any chance to win because I want them to win, right. and those are my two guys. So, in fact, I'll go home and watch some of the Houston. I've got something to do right after this, then I'll, I'll go I'll go watch some more golf this afternoon. Okay. You said you're a big basketball guy? Yes. You follow the NBA? Yes. Not as much. Who's your MVP? Oh gosh! I, then I'll I, tell you mine. I love Seth Curry. Steph or Seth? Steph. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is to me just he's um, unbelievable with the ball handling. 
a guy that can shoot like he does from midcourt or out of bounds. And I just <laughs> I loved watching KD because I loved him when he was here and mm-hmm. he was such a good person. Uh, LeBron James should have been a tight end. <laughs> uh, defensive end, wide receiver. I could have had him anywhere, like maybe quarterback, as athletic as he is. Snap the ball, just go right uh, Just whatever. Yep. Just Le- LeBron. So anytime those guys are on, I watch. But I got to ask Westbrook or Harden? Uh, I think it's Westbrook again, and Harden is so good. But Westbrook, I mean, he, he again is just unbelievable with everything he does. Mm-hmm. And he's such a competitor. I mean, that guy just fights and competes, and I love to watch him play. That's who I've got as well. All three of us, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. How about that? Look at there that. We go. <laughs> well, on great that minds note, think together. Yeah. On that note, thank you again for joining us. This was great. Hope to have you back at some point in the future. I don't know if me or Tyler will be here, but this podcast will still be up and running. But thanks again, Mac. We appreciate you being here. Well, thank you guys, and and thanks for all the Daily Texan does for students and and for the university. And it's a it's a very unique concept and and one that I know our staff appreciated like we did the other media outlets across the country. And and that's that's unique. It's not like that everywhere. So uh, you guys have done a tremendous job here. And you just told me there's 300 employees, and it's unbelievable. People just would not understand how big an operation this really is. So thanks for all you do. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Um, So as usual, you can follow us on Twitter at the daily Texan. You're uh, at ESPN underscore coach Mac. Mm -hmm. And then I'm at air merchant, Donnie 41, Tyler, you're at Texas tie nine five and go ahead and give coach Brown a a follow. He's a really good social media presence. So I love your motivational quotes. Yeah. Thank you. You know, you know, I, I know we're, we're finishing up here. We started, I had a friend that sent Bible verses to his children. And and then he said, you should send quotes to your children because that every morning and their spouses because that keeps you in touch with them and you don't have to bother them. And I started doing that. And then they said, you know what, this is really cool. You need to start doing that for other people. So I started doing it to the team. Then I started doing it to high school coaches. And it's on Facebook and Twitter because we had to do that for recruiting. Uh, but it's been fun for me, and, and it, it gets me every morning when I get up, the first thing I do is find something that I like that's going to make me feel better about the day, and I'm, I'm glad you all enjoy it. Yeah, we actually feature some of those quotes in the paper and in, in our top tweets. So Good. if you're ever around and you ever have a chance to grab a copy, you might see yourself in there. I'll have to be more careful now. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> Thanks again, Mac. Appreci- uh, appreciate you being here. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for coach. listening. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Akshay Merchandani and Tyler Horka. Our guest was Coach Mac Brown. The music was by Jazar. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. You can always find more news at dailytexanonline.com.